Hi everyone, I'm Inez. Welcome to the Wellness Code Podcast. In this episode, I talk to Bryony Lancaster, who is the co-founder and co-director of Echo of the Universe Yoga Studio and Whole Foods Cafe in Sydney. Bryony has been teaching yoga for nearly 20 years and is a devoted mindfulness teacher. You can sense wisdom, warmth, and compassion in her voice as she shares deeply personal stories and walks us through the four pillars of mindfulness. We recorded this episode some time ago, and I'm thrilled to finally share this interview with you all. Here is our conversation. Thank you so much for coming on today to have a chat with me. And I would I would just really like to start by getting to know you a little bit. Mm. I'm always curious about the journey, mm. you know, what, what was the catalyst what was your first experience of engaging in in the practice of meditation or mindfulness? Mm. What would you know? What was the foundation for mm. all of this? Well, I guess it started when I was young. I used to be a runner and a sprinter, and so I used. I've always been very active, and I used to do a lot of running training, and then I got into gym and used to do a lot of gym work as well. Um, and that used to satisfy me physically but didn't do anything for my inner body. Um, then I got into yoga, a very strong style of yoga initially, Bikram yoga, which met me where I needed to be met physically but didn't give me a lasting internal space. Um, and then I got into vinyasa yoga a few years later and that started to invite me into places which were more spacious and I was more comfortable in inner spaciousness. But still, you know, after Shavasana, I'd leave the class and it didn't have the lasting impact that I was really interested in. And I still would notice many moments during the day where I'd be either lost in sort of moments of anger or irritation or um, a feeling of anxiety. And so I didn't have the tools that I knew somehow were available through simply the yoga, as in the physical yoga. Then I met over a number of years two significant teachers, one of whom I've been with for many years now, Sarah Powers and her husband Ty Powers. I've been with them and had her as my mentor, which was very lucky, for about seven or eight years. And she really invited me into the world of mindfulness. And that was where the practice began in a way because I loved it so much because it really met me where I was. It wasn't sort of suggesting, look, wait till you're all peaceful and calm and the house is tidy and the kids are quiet and you're in a really good mood and you feel really generous and, you know, abundant. It just sort of said, start where you are. Use whatever's going on around you as the doorway in and that is the first step. And and that really resonated with me to have a practice that met me where I was and gave me really practical and amazing tools to work through my very humanness 
Uh, mm-hmm. I just I loved it for its realness and its humanness and how it sort of practically it was a practice that sort of took my hand gently and walked me through the different areas of myself to finding a real spaciousness beyond that sort of ordinary mind, I guess. If you could take me back just a little bit um, and tell me whether you can recall what were the circumstances or times when you first noticed benefits because we sort of if we're doing something and we're not noticing benefits Mm. or we're not sure how to notice things yeah we're not sure how does this work is this good for me I'm putting the time in so we're not just we're not quite convinced Mm. that this is something we should put the time and effort because Mm. it is work Mm -hmm. so I'm always curious about you know when when we first notice that something is different? Yes. Gosh, that's such a good question. And there's a number of moments come to mind. And I think um, on my first meditation teacher training, I was studying with a very wonderful meditation teacher called uh, Kevin Niv Farrow. And he was doing a sort of a very long meditation training with him where I was practicing an hour a day for 100 days. And you know, what was really interesting is people were saying, gosh, you must be so relaxed and you must be feeling so sort of enlightened. And I had this real distinction of actually I wasn't sort of floating through this sea of chi and blissful awareness, but I was seeing myself really clearly. So, for example, when I would find myself feeling distracted or losing my temper with the kids or, you know, getting really anxious in the car or anything like that, I could just see it really clearly like I wasn't in it anymore. I was seeing it as an observer. And that was one of the first uh, moments where I thought, wow, meditation gives us this capacity to clear the screen of perception daily so that we're not looking at life and our daily habits through the lens of our habitual patterning so much but just through that real clarity of seeing things as they are so I was able to sort of see myself really clearly and that was a really transformative point because then of course as soon as we start being able to see ourselves clearly we're so much less bound by our patterns so I was set more free and so that was really one of those moments where I remember thinking I can see it so clearly now and it doesn't necessarily mean that I was just skipping through daisy fields um, you know happy all the time but it did mean that I was much more aware of the different states within me as they arose and passed as well so that, that was a, a really big turning point and and I think just being able to have that sense of separation from, say, a storm that we're in in any moment. I remember another time when I was driving somewhere and I dropped the kids off to school and I was going to another meeting, excuse me, and I, you know, I think I was running late and the traffic was really bad. You know, we live in Sydney, so it's incredibly (laughs) full-on traffic. And I remember sort of sitting at the lights and 
kind of gripping the steering wheel and my heart was racing and I was feeling really anxious. My whole body was tense. You know, it was just a real full-on moment of intense storm. And I just suddenly saw that with such clarity and was able to see, you know, the body tensing, the breath being held, the mental state just being completely congested, the, the emotional landscape in a really big tumultuous storm and just totally unpresent to actually what was going on in that moment. And because I'd been practising then for some time, I had this sort of just a momentary breath in and breath out. Uh, and it, again, as soon as we kind of see it for what it is, it dissipates completely. And that didn't mean that I wasn't still worried about running late or I didn't feel the pressure of being in the traffic, but I wasn't lost in it. It didn't have me and I was able to just observe it and then kind of use the tools of the practice in a way just to kind of remedy that disquiet that was within me and just sort of come back to my breathing, relax my lower belly, soften the grip on the steering wheel, soften my shoulders. And I was able to sort of, I guess, guide myself a little bit out of that storm back into a more equanimous state of mind or equanimous place within myself. Mm. There's so much value in what you just described. Mm. First thing is sort of that learning to respond rather than to react. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm, yes. <laughs> and, um, and it takes a bit of practice to get to that point. Oh, absolutely. So it's, so that's one of the first things that I, uh, uh, what I'm hearing. Mm. Um, the second thing is really demystifying what, meditation or mindfulness is and how it works in the moment mm. uh, that beautiful breakdown of this is what I felt this is what I noticed and I was able to observe myself mm. and then I was able to anchor myself and you know whether it's with our breath or sensations because that's always present mm. that's always with us and I don't think we really don't, oftentimes we don't fully understand how meditation or mindfulness, how it works. Mm. And the fact that anchoring and coming back to our breath, that is literally changing the, you know, the physiological aspects of our body and mm. how we respond. So, um, but in order for us to get to that point, there is a lot of sort of observation and mm. noticing that's taking place and mm. and through practice. So if we're able to practice on a regular basis, we're cultivating the capacity to apply this yes. in real life. Mm. I couldn't agree more. I think if we have a practice that's just reserved for at home and sitting on our meditation cushion and you know, lighting the incense or whatever, um, it's totally 
so limited if we can't bring it to our practice and our practice to life, you know. So that's really so much of what I believe in is, yeah, there's that cute saying that's something like, you know, for mindfulness to work, we need the practice at home but also the field work of life. So we need to be able to put to practice the practice Um, and, it's such a worthwhile thing. I use it so many times a day, trying to be a really conscious parent, trying to run my business with such genuine heart and really trying to sort of have that as above, so below mentality. So there's a lot of sort of awareness of how I manage my teams and I really do try to weave that into all the corners of my life. Um, and I think therein lies the magic of a practice. If it's just something that we do at home, just to sort of tick a box, it's it's still beneficial and still is wonderful. And if we can work out ways for it to be a life transformational tool, inevitably, then that's even more fantastic. But I think wherever anyone starts, whether they're just using a you know, a few minutes on a guided meditation or a short little sit at the end of a practice or a few moments at home, invariably all of that is, no effort is wasted. So whatever anyone's doing is such a wonderful place to start. And I think the beautiful thing about it is as you step ever more deeply into the practice, the arms continue to widen and broaden in terms of the benefits that are available if we keep going. There's no end to it. So for me, that's exciting to be able to bring it to practice so that we're happier humans and having a more positive impact in our families and our relationships and also to continuously peel away any layers of healing that require uh, some tenderness in our own bodies so that we continuously open up to a more healthy way of being within ourselves. And it sounds like you started this journey before your kids or was it while you had children? Actually, just you've jogged my memory. The first book that I read when I was in still just postpartum, I just had my daughter, so 14 years ago, she I was given by someone, Buddhism for Mothers, um, I can't remember the name of the author right now, but she's uh, an Australian woman and she wrote this extraordinary book. Um, Yes, called Buddhism for Mothers. And it is funny and enlightening and just was my Bible in the first sort of six months of my daughter's life. And I haven't ever forgotten the gems of that book and it was such a gift I then gave it to every woman who who I knew who was pregnant as a pregnancy book we had it selling in our studios for years um and it's just so extraordinarily powerful because it yeah it for me it was such a wonderful way as you say children and any kind of pressure that gets put on us we appreciate the joys and also see the challenges so much more uh, illuminated and I think for me what I was really aware of is how my internal space was so um, 
is it affected the way I was with my daughter so extremely obviously, especially when they were a little bit older. So I'd notice, for example, the only time I would snap at my child or my children was when I was ruminating on something in my mind. I was chewing over something that was frustrating me anyway, a problem at work or a relationship I was having to navigate or a, a draft email I was kind of sort of ro- rolling through my mind and then if the kids were sort of like, mum, mum, or something, I would have much shorter fuse. And that was something I figured out really early on was my irritation at them rarely has anything to do with them and their behaviour. It's almost always to do with my internal space. And that if I am actually able to be present and uh, really that takes my bandwidth so much broader in terms of what I can manage and handle and that's not to say that as I know you know this but that's not to say that through mindfulness we push down and um, you know we don't uh, ignore any parts of us but rather we see what's there and what's needing to be remedied and sort of nurtured And then through that awareness, we can be more calm within ourselves so that we're calmer as mothers and as wives and as business leaders and and colleagues and so on. So it was such a practical step, um, especially around me losing my temper, stroke not losing my temper, but also just being able to be really present with them in a loving way in that Mm. you know and mobiles weren't really a thing or they weren't a big part of my life when my kids were very young so I haven't had a very big relationship with them when they were babies but now for example I notice that if they're talking to me and I'm trying to do something on my phone or an email or something I'll say to them look, honey, I just need two minutes, I need to finish this text or I need to finish this email and then I want to give you my full attention. Because you realise that when they don't have your full attention and when we're trying to split ourselves between too many things, our bandwidth is is very thin and we can't manage things as well. So just little things like that and being present with the people we love is so important and means that Uh, We can tend to our own restlessness with more gentleness in Mm. the times when we need to be gentle. Mm. You can't see me right now, but I'm just nodding like, "Mm -hmm, yes, yes, yes. That's exactly exactly right. Mm. Um, Also, I am really, really super interested in the way in which you teach meditation mm-hmm. or mindfulness about your approach about the four pillars which I read about briefly mm-hmm. and it really resonated with me I don't know whether it was um the simplicity in which the elegant you know the elegant simplicity mm-hmm. behind the process mm-hmm. uh, I'm very process oriented yes. so I really like to sort of even if I'm doing something or if I'm reading something and some, someone is taking me through the process and I can understand yeah. that work with clarity. No, absolutely. Mm. And that's what I sensed. So 
this might be helpful for pretty much anyone listening or especially for people that are considering this or a little bit curious about meditation or mindfulness. So would you mind telling us just a little bit about your process and, and, the, and the approach that you take? Sure. And I, I totally agree with that, it, that I'd practiced many types of meditation before I came across mindfulness and much more Zen practices that sort of just said, just come to a seat, notice your breath and drop into awareness. And I was kind of like, okay, right. Well, what do I do with the distraction? What do I do with the sore knee? What do I do with my angry mind? What do I do with my um, restless you know, heart? So what I loved about mindfulness and still love about it which is why I teach it so often is that it sort of takes you by the hand and says this way, honey, and it will step you through step by step journeying through the layers of yourself to take you to the edge of what I'm going to call no mind. So from restlessness to groundedness and from disconnected to connected and this sort of thing so for me it's a step-by-step program that has been understood by Buddhists and yogis and psychologists and so on and so forth for many many years but of course the Buddhists for thousands of years the way I teach mindfulness is based on a series of talks or a talk that the Buddha was said to have given to his students or his bhikkhus about two and a half thousand years ago. And I teach it in a simplified variation because it worked so beautifully for me. I've been gifted seven or eight years of practicing it with Sarah Powers and her husband Ty Powers and they teach it in such an embodied way. So I also like to teach it in a very uh, felt sense. So it's not just, you know, the brain. It's not just sort of saying, now mindfulness of the body, now mindfulness of the mind. It's sort of feeling your way through, like you're tiptoeing your way through the layers of your body, mind, feeling sensations, and then your senses. Because when we're really feeling, we're 100% in our feeling, we can't be thinking at the same time. So it's really powerful to feel our way through. So I guess the first layer of mindfulness, the the layer of our body, which includes the breathing, which is interesting because in many yogic traditions they they separate the body and the breath into two layers. But in the Buddhist Mm. four foundations, it's the one. So we literally as you know, start by bringing our attention to our body, which is the coarsest and most tangible layer of us. So it's a good place to start, you know, our heavy bones, our stretchy skin, our muscles, and we can feel our breathing so that when we get still, our breath is the most obvious thing that's moving within and around us. So That's the sort of first place that we land. And what I love teaching in this is really climb into and take up residence in your body like you're feeling from within rather than sort of keeping it quite cerebral and just thinking, oh, yeah, my body. So you're feeling the stretch in the knee. You're feeling the rhythm of your breath. You're really feeling the cadence of the breath and so on. 
So then we soften into the body. And even when the Buddha was thought to be enlightened, you know, people would say to him, what do you practice? And he'd say, mindfulness of breathing. So even though it's the first foundation of mindfulness and, you know, in theory, a very simple practice, it's also really transformative. And just as you said at the beginning, physiologically just brings us back to such a state within us that's so beautiful. So that's the first foundation. The second foundation, of course, is mindfulness of feelings or sensations, which in the Pali or the Sanskrit word is, is um, vedana. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of the, I like to sort of instruct my students to sort of climb into the interiority of the body and in the same way that you might look out the window in the morning to kind of see what the weather's doing you're just literally looking inside and oh I love that isn't that beautiful or like feeling Mm. inside so you're almost opening the windows to the heart and just noticing how is it in there what what's the weather like and oh, I'm going to start using that. Yeah, I love that. I love it too. And so mm. you're sort of feeling into, is it stormy? Is it sad? What's the terrain? Is it anxious? Is it, you know, and you're really feeling into the sensations and the feelings of the body. And the way that this layer is taught traditionally is that you then label what you're feeling. So you would either be pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. So maybe if you're working with some heartbreak or recently when the you know COVID-19 all kicked off, we might have been working with fear or anxiety and you start there. So you sort of just feel into that and you might label that unpleasant. And then you breathe with that for a few moments and you notice that it drifts away and, and then you might just notice neutral there's not really any overriding feeling tones and then you you know a thought might pop into your head from a text that you received a day or two ago and it made you angry and you might feel into that and say unpleasant and so you're sort of tracking the emotional landscape and labeling each so that we can keep that seat of awareness and notice that what we're feeling has the capacity to both arise on its own and dissipate on its own accord and this just keeps us kind of on the edge of the seat of awareness noticing again like we were lying on our backs and watching storm clouds gently change shape in in the wind and that they're never the same for long and they'll shift in that ever mercurial changing inner landscape And so I'll often just practice that one just to notice how I'm going, notice how I'm feeling and just really keep myself company through the ever-changing landscape of the inner world. So that's the sort of layer two. The layer three or the third foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of the mind, which is a lot simpler for people because feeling if we're not used to therapy or if we're not used to internal sort of space holding, we can be really unsure. As you know, if we've had any trauma, we can be numb. So we kind of don't know how we feel. So that can be very tricky week. That's often the trickiest week to teach because people are kind of, and myself as well, it takes us a while to be able to feel that clearly. 
Whereas the mind, it's more obvious. You can hear the chatter. You notice when it's got commentary going on. You can notice the judgments. You can. It's much more coarse. So the mindfulness of the mind is as it sounds. It's just noticing different sort of states of mind and the quality of mind as it's happening. And one of the ways that I'll often start this layer is I'll sort of sit and then make my way through the layer of the body and breath and then make my way through the feelings. And then I'll sort of ask myself, what's the quality of my mind right now? Almost what's happening right now? And just by taking that moment to kind of ask and see really clearly, we can get that insight into how it is in there, in the mind, and just see really clearly what thoughts are there, how distracted we are as things pop in and pop out of the mind. And I often like to sort of picture it like I was standing at a train station and just watching a train go past slowly and each of the thoughts is just like a carriage and you see it but then you let it go rather than sort of wondering, well, who's in that carriage and how did they get there and what colour are the seats? And, and you, you know, sort of follow mm-hmm. it with your eyes down the platform. You just stay and then you notice the next carriage and then the next. And then we kind of see again the transitory nature of the mind and just how it's always changing. And the one constant is our sort of space of awareness in that sort of observer's mind, I suppose. So we're sort of strengthening that uh, uh, perspective, I suppose, of the observer. And as you said earlier on, that pause between reactivity, you're Mm -hmm. then just given that space between your true awareness, I suppose, and just the thoughts that are coming and going. Yeah, because we we tend to, we're just so so much on an autopilot yeah. and our feelings, our thoughts, we are fusing with everything. So we're fusing, and this is my observation, but I find that we're fusing with thoughts and feelings. We're fusing with tasks. We're fusing with food. There is no break in between yeah. <laughs> of anything. I'm fusing in the morning. I'm fusing Ooh. with the breakfast that I'm eating and putting the foot to the pedal and you know, backing out of the garage. So there's just a lot of fusion with very little space in between. Exactly. Indeed. And that's exactly, exactly what I'll often say in my meditation classes. This time of meditating is just to try to take the seriousness out of it or that sort of earnestness out of it. And I often just sort of invite my students and also myself just just think of it as just time in your own company where you just sit down next to yourself like an old friend that you just sit next to on a park bench. You know them so well that you don't even need to talk and you're just shoulder to shoulder sitting in each other's company and just observing and allowing all those fractured parts of us to come back together again. And so that's really why I love meditating is that just that time to settle and I think that really relates beautifully with the fourth foundation of mindfulness, which really is one of my favourite layers. And it's just using our senses, so the sights, sounds, smells, tastes, sensations through our skin, and uh, to really connect us into the moment 
And so a really nice way of uh, using that might be, for example, just closing your eyes and listening to the sounds that you can hear around you, whether it's birdsong or your child or your children downstairs or, you know, your flatmates making coffee in the next room or whatever it is. It doesn't even have to be a beautiful babbling brook or crashing waves, just whatever's going on. And you're using that environment as a way to feel into your response to the environment and the way that affects your inner body as well because, of course, we all have prejudices and preferences uh, with, with the sounds that we hear and the tastes that we taste and the smells that we smell and so on. So the, first found, the fourth foundation of mindfulness is, is, is very complex and the way that I teach it is a very simplified uh, version of it, which is that mindfulness of damas, as it's often referred to, or mindfulness of phenomena, which is most sort of simplified as just our senses and using that as a way to plug us into the moment as it's happening around us and unfolding within us as well. The other thing that I love about mindfulness, but also Buddhism, is uh, they talk about, I'm sure you know this already, but the two wings of mindfulness in that the practice of mindfulness has two wings and these wings sit at the back of the practice or really wrapped around us in the practice and their one wing is awareness. So we're really mm -hmm. aware of what we find. We're aware of our thoughts. We're aware of our inner feeling state. We're aware of the sound. The other wing, which is so important, is compassion or self-love or self-kindness. And this is the most important aspect of the whole practice. So that if someone says, look, I don't really like meditation, it's not really for me. And if we dig a little deeper, it's probably that they noticed their mind was really restless or their back was uncomfortable or they thought they weren't good at it or all of these things, but if we wrap the practice in self-compassion and kindness and patience and gentleness and loving kindness, then we're saying to ourselves as we sit on the cushion or the seat or the chair or the grass, welcome, come here, my love, and just sit here and notice the sounds, notice your breathing, notice your thoughts, notice your feelings, and wrap whatever you find in kindness then it's a more welcoming place to come and practice. But if it's another place where we're met with judgment and criticism and not getting it right, then of course it's going to be miserable and we'll just be better off, you know, going for a run or whatever. So I think that's another aspect of the practice that was a real, a real winner for me was how friendly it was because... Of course we all have those shadow sides of us that need tending to and healing so that if we can let our practice be a place where all parts of us are welcome, then it's going to be more encouraging to start again and again and again, really for the rest of our lives. But it's, it's welcoming and friendly. And so that's what's always been a massive, a real gem of the practice of mindfulness. And I think... Long term, I think one of the, the most beautiful side effects, if you like, of a practice, and I mean I've been practicing regularly, almost daily for over 10 years, 
but then dabbling for about 13 or 15 years. I think the biggest side effect, of, the positive side effect, is my internal self-dialogue is so different from when I was a young woman and um, it's so much kinder and so much more gentle and so much more loving. And I think that internal critic has there's been so much healing to that side of myself that no matter what else happens in life, there's been such healing there through this tenderly sitting in my own company and wrapping the wings of mindfulness around myself every time I find myself angry or frightened or anxious, constantly coming back to that loving space and learning to reside more and more in that primordial wise part of me that we all have you me everyone who's Mm -hmm. listening everyone Mm -hmm. then learning to sit back into the seat of that primordial wise and ever compassionate aspect of us and hold space for the parts of us that are lost and frightened and anxious and over efforting and over ready and traumatized and that sort of thing and we're learning to hold space for those fractured parts so that they can come back to this feeling of togetherness. And I think one of the images that I often have for myself in practice, especially when I go on my silent retreats, is I imagine myself as this beautiful old tribal woman, you know, like if a man's listening, then they could be a male, you know, old, ancient, ancient tribal leader who's just sort Mm -hmm. of sitting there watching the kids of the tribe just playing at his feet and they're, Some of them are fighting and some of them are smiling and some of them are laughing and some of them are restless and one of them's running away and he or she is just sort of sitting there with this cute little Buddha smile, just sort of noticing those children. And those sort of children are aspects of us that are not fully they're not fully healed and they're needing that distraction and they're the ones that want to get busy or the ones that are fighting and we're just holding space for those parts of us to play out their energies and their characteristics and we're just holding that space of the the wise old one and so and that for me is a really healing image of just wrapping my wings of wisdom around all the parts of me that still need that peacekeeping I wish I had this information in my 20s. <laughs> in me too. And the way in which you presented this to us is that you can step into this at any point. Absolutely. This holds value across many different aspects of day-to-day living and just functioning, our relationships with ourselves, uh, with others. It's all all that interpersonal stuff, which takes up a lot of energy and you got to create space for that. So if nothing else, I really hope that the listeners kind of get a sense, a bit of a behind the scenes of how this practice works and how it could potentially be of help and of, of use for them personally. So it, the really exciting bit is that now you are actually launching this online. Can you tell us about that? 
Yeah, so it is really exciting. I've been teaching the four foundations of mindfulness for a number of years, but this is the first year that we've ever done it online. And of course, it's been fast forwarded by the recent world events, but really something I've been wanting to do for a long time. And so my one of the beautiful women I work with has helped package it up really nicely with it's really simple it's just what we've gone through but each week there's a short video explaining that layer and then there's a guided audio meditation that you can either listen to or listen to once or twice and then practice on your own and there's also text to support each layer as we go through and a weekly live zoom check-in so we'll have an opportunity to ask questions and really lean into the collective questioning of the group that we're with and that's almost where we learn the most in those question times because of course one no questions ever wasted everything that you're wondering someone else is wondering as well so it's I'm really really excited about it and we're launching that on the 1st of May um, and yeah you can sign up via our website which is eggoftheuniverse.com and it's just on our what's on page and it's called the breakfast club the mindfulness course with me and yeah it's I'm just so passionate about sharing mindfulness with as many people as possible just to help us be happier within ourselves more conscious mothers partners colleagues and just wanderers on 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 the earth so, yeah, I'd love for you to join me on that and any of your listeners to whom that resonates and it would be wonderful to have you on board. And I think it's wonderful that you were able to put all of this together and say, here you go, you know, come, yeah. come and um, come, yeah. come, and, come, and come and, you know, come and join. Very, very, very honoured to have been invited to come on to your beautiful website which is such a lovely resource so thank you so much and the big thank you to Bryony. what i got from this episode is that practicing mindfulness is another way for us to energize recenter and heal our bodies for more information on how you can access the online meditation classes that everyone can do at home please visit eggoftheuniverse.com Thank you all for joining us today and let's not forget to look after our well-being. Happy meditating.